Welcome to One and Done TV. I am your co-host, Ian Hamilton. And I am his plant-based, bog-dwelling, badass, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we discuss television shows that were canceled after one season, or in some cases, after their first episode. Isn't that right, John? Yeah, we are trudging through the swamp as we discover what these shows were, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. And today we are talking, of course, about DC's Swamp Thing. It was came out in 2019 on the short-lived platform DC Universe. But before we discuss that, John, what have you been watching? We're releasing this episode after Halloween. I still consider it the spooky season a little bit. Uh, not quite ready for Christmas or even Thanksgiving movies yet. So last night, 10 o'clock, I was like, I want to watch a new horror movie. And I watched uh, Blair Witch for the first time. Oh, I've never seen it. Yeah, I had tried it like 10 years ago. And I just, I don't know what it was. I just never got into it. But yeah, that puts like every found footage movie that followed it and tried to copycat it to shame. It's really like in terms of the realism of it, Like, I get why people thought it was real. It was so compellingly done on such a low budget. And one thing, though, that I was thinking when I was watching it was, I think by the end of it, if I was watching this without knowing anything about it, I might be pissed about, like, how it (laughs) resolves. Really? Um, Yeah. Like, it is a very scary movie. It's a very tense movie. But... There was something about the way it like wrapped up and I knew how it kind of wrapped up just because, you know, it's been over 20 years and I had a sense of what the last 20 minutes of the movie looked like. But if I was just like expecting something else, I would be like, huh, as I was leaving the theater. I don't know. That's just me. But the movie was like held a Guinness record for like the most profitable movie ever. Uh, maybe it still holds that. Oh, based on budget to what it made. I think it was something like for every $1 the movie cost, it made $10,500 or something like that. Like, it's nuts, the profitability Not on that. too shabby. I couldn't even tell you who made that movie. No, because they didn't really do much after it. And it was done by, you know, professional actors, but they never really went on to do anything else. It was... That's- crazy because usually when someone has that kind of success it's like their next movie is greenlit immediately yeah but the thing about Blair Witch was it's one of those situations that I don't think can ever be replicated it was like the perfect movie for its time because the reason it was such a huge hit was it was right at the dawn of the internet and so there were all these chat rooms and websites that they did to promote the movie that were basically like hey this is real and so when it got put out there into the world they weren't saying that it wasn't real. And so they had, like I was looking at IMDb trivia afterwards, like they were sending sympathy cards. Fans were sending sympathy cards to like the protagonist's mom thinking that she had like disappeared and died. And 
yeah, people went into the theaters like thinking they were witnessing crimes, basically. Uh, and so it's a really sort of special zeitgeist capturer. And even, you know, 20, 25 years later, as a movie, it is a tense experience. I was really, I was really engaged by it a lot more than I thought I would. I would wonder if paranormal activity matched that at all because I know it costs like 40,000 to make and ended up making like a hundred million maybe. Yeah. This cost like 26,000 and made 140 million domestic. So I don't know if it ever quite did that, but paranormal activity had a successful franchise and Blair Witch only had one sequel and it came out the year after the first one. And it was apparently terrible. I've missed out on a lot of classic horror movies. I've never seen the ring never seen The Grudge. Uh, when I say classic, I mean like things that came out when we were kids. Yeah, like the the PG-13s. And like Blair Witch was an interesting one because it's only rated R for language. And it came out when we were seven, I think, seven or eight. So we were just like a hair too young for it. But I still oh, remember yeah. when it came out. Yeah. I remember some older kids watching it at a sleepover and I caught maybe a minute of it, and I was completely freaked out and had nightmares for a while. Like, I couldn't go back to that house, I think. Yeah, it was a, a super tense movie, exceptionally well done, too. Um, and honestly, though, I'm kind of glad I saw it later in life. Ian, what about you? What, uh, what did you watch recently? Speaking of horrifying, last night I saw Triangle of Sadness in theaters, and... If it's still playing in a theater when this episode drops, you got to go see it with an audience. It's horrifying. It's incredible. Uh, Me, Natalie, and our friend loved it. And it's a very heavy-handed metaphor, but it goes so crazy over the top that it is an absolute joy to watch. It's super cringy. Without being quite the office cringy, like it's cringe to the point of being absolutely shocking, mm. but you get it. And I, I don't know. I mean, we talk on the podcast all the time about like, please do something different. And this movie delivers on the doing something different aspect. And its writer-director also made The Square, mm-hmm. which was a foreign film from, I think he's Swedish. Yeah, and Swedish uh, or Norwegian, I think. A Nordic. I know The Square was a Swedish movie, though. And it was uh, nominated for Best Foreign Film at the time. Mm-hmm. And I love The Square. Um, Force Majeure, too, was the same guy. Oh, no way. I've actually never seen it, but... yeah. I would love it, and I've heard great things. Yeah, I I think it's a a touch overrated. I I still really like it, but I saw it on some people's like best movies of the 21st century, and I was like, sure, yeah. But I really do like it, and I love The Square, and I'm very, very excited for Triangle of Sadness. I cannot wait to talk to you about it. (laughs) I, I really can't. You can't wait for it to be showtime? Five, four, three... Two, one, showtime! 
In 2019, the short-lived streaming service DC Universe took us to the small town of Marais, Louisiana, and gave us Swamp Thing. Much like how the swamp can provide great riches, it can also be deadly as this show succumbed to the darkness and was canceled after one episode. Although it did go on to release its nine other episodes, but the cancellation was announced right after the pilot aired. Yikes. To yes. rave reviews, by the way. Interesting. Did you ever have any inkling to invest in DC Universe, the streaming service? Uh, no, but going back to our Freaks and Geeks episode, I know that Sam Levine was the voice actor on one or maybe even several of their cartoons. I think he also co-hosted like a daily DC News show on the platform. I guess we we might go into it a little bit later, but I think it's important to kind of set up that this was a place for DC to throw sort of all of their original content. And Swamp Thing seems like I had I had never heard of Swamp Thing, the show or uh, the comic book character before this. Had you? Um, I definitely had, but I'm realizing now after watching the show that. I kind of mixed it in my mind with Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm. I was thinking that too. Like when you said Swamp Thing, I immediately thought Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. So I I really did not know what I was getting myself into. I don't think anyone can. Man, we're going to talk a a lot about this show, but I think one thing we can safely say was, wow, there was a lot going on here. Wowie zowie. Um... Yeah, a lot of CGI, a lot of but like just as many just as many practical effects. So I definitely appreciated the way that they made the show for mm-hmm. sure. Like it was ambitious and you could tell it was expensive. I will say, you know, without tipping my hand too much that this is definitely I arguably the most ambitious and unique show that we have tackled thus far on the podcast. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, a lot of it made me wonder how much of it was shot in a warehouse and how much of it was shot (laughs) on location. Yeah, it had a lot of money behind it. So Swamp Thing was a comic book character, but the TV show was created by some heavy hitters in Hollywood, a guy named Gary Doberman. Doberman? Eh, Let's say Doberman like the dog. He wrote It, he wrote The Nun, he wrote It Chapter 2, which I've never seen It Chapter 2 because I've just heard Bill Hader's great, but everything else is trash. Yeah, it works, I think. I mean, I really liked the first one, though. Yeah, I mean, if it's it's a bit of a disappointment laid up against the first one, but overall, like I found it to be satisfying. I never read the books, though. There's also co-created by Mark Verheiden, who surprisingly co-wrote The Mask, the Jim Carrey movie, (laughs) which is crazy when you consider he went on to produce Ash vs. the Evil Dead TV show, Smallville, Daredevil, Constantine, another one and done, and Battlestar Galactica. Did you ever watch Smallville? No, not really. I was, yeah, I was big into Smallville for like the first four or five seasons. And Swamp Thing, I'm surprised, I guess I'm not really surprised at all to hear that he did Smallville because there's a lot of parallels, I think, between what happens on Swamp Thing and what happens on Smallville. 
Uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of overlap with DC and the CW because mm-hmm. the CW produced so many successful DC teen angst shows. Yeah, for lack the of a better Flash, term. the Flash, Arrow, um, Supergirl, and Smallville as well. Yeah, they 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 have a good relationship with the uh, Warner Brothers and DC. Exactly. And that um, all kind of wraps into how it was canceled. And that's an interesting story for later in the podcast. Um, But then, John, you wanted to talk about James Wan, right? Yeah, because James Wan is credited as an executive producer. For those that don't know him, he was the he kind of ushered in, in a way like this, this latest generation of horror movies, because he was the writer and director of the first Saw he also is behind the Conjuring series, mm-hmm. and he had, and he also did Furious Seven, and of course he was an executive producer of the new MacGyver, which ran for ninety five episodes. So a big deal across <laughs> genres. But for all intents and purposes, Swamp Thing is a pure horror show. Yeah, there's uh, some people describe it as body horror even. I mean, it's gruesome. There's a lot of transformations happening. Uh, There's a lot of gruesome kills and uh, people getting ripped apart, which I cannot wait to go over with you later in greater detail. This is a gnarly show with a big old fat G in front of it. But a lot of the kills... I guess, can we set up the show just a a touch, too, about how... So this takes place in uh, Murray, Louisiana, the bayou. So we might go into some Cajun accents, and uh, so apologies for that. But it's the small swamp town. There's a lot of hijinks going on and a lot of backstabbing, and the swamp thing is this gigantic monster that's created and... He's basically set to defend the swamp while also part of these bigger conspiracies that have sort of enveloped the town. And I don't think there's any better way to talk through the show than with some highlights. Highlights. We got to start out with some characters. Let's start with the scientists, John. We have our main protagonist, Abby Arcane, who works Great for name. this. Uh, well, alliteration, always a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, she works for the CDC Epidemic Intelligence Service and makes a point in the show of saying, yeah, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, she is the one that is sent out to investigate all of these sort of epidemics that have happened in regional parts. And she's there because there's this girl who is sort of infected with this greenish plant-based sort of thing. And she's there to figure out why it's happening. And she's also, it's like some kind of swamp thing. Yeah. Some sort of swampy thing. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for nailing that down. The other person who is investigating it is Alec Holland, who is a biologist actively researching the swamp and has been for some time before the show. Uh, but he does 
he gets too close to the truth, man. And he's, he's blown up by some dynamite strapped to an arrow and uh, shot that's shot from a crossbow. Yeah. There's no other crossbow in the show, except for the one that shoots the dynamite arrow. If you're going to have one crossbow, it's going to be that one. But Abby and Alec sort of form a kinship before he gets all blown up and shot to bits. But Alec dies, and maybe he comes back later. We'll get to that in a second. And then the last and most evil of the scientists is Dr. Woodrow. Uh, He thinks he's smarter than everyone else. He's some highly esteemed professor, and he almost completely lacks empathy except for his drive to save his ailing wife who has uh, increasingly worse dementia throughout the season. Yeah, he's investigating this swamp thing. Is that how we... That's a yeah, good way to describe it. Yeah, some kind of swamp thing. I swamp don't know. thing, yeah. It's a swampy thing. And he's investigating it essentially for selfish means to try to figure out how to regenerate cells very quickly so that he can help his wife's dementia and cure it so that she can get back to normal. Because it, it should be said that they're in what? They're like mid-40s. So it's like really early onset Alzheimer's or dementia. Exactly. And he invents some sort of accelerant, which we will talk about more later on. But I just have to say, there was a scene where they said it five times in a minute. It was like accelerant, accelerant, accelerant. They were really accelerating on the use of the word accelerant. Right, because I don't even think we knew about it before that. Um, Oh, wait, actually, I noticed Alec Holland earlier finds the accelerant and calls it the accelerant. And then later, the actual scientist who he has not met calls it the accelerant. Maybe it's a medical term. Even though we do have medical degrees, we should know this. That's true. Uh, John, I think the people got to know about the Sunderlands, though. So Abby is from Murray, but the other scientists are basically outsiders, uh, though the town itself is being run by the Sunderland family. Imagine the sort of overseers of like the biggest swamp plantation you can think of, and that's the Sunderlands. We've got Avery Sunderland, uh, played by the character actor Will Patton. He is the rich benefactor, and he's really a constant terror of the town. Uh, He says he just wants to save humanity, but really he's just kind of a manipulative troll who works through the town and just kind of uses people for whatever he needs them for. Hey, John, the swamp owes him because it took his daddy when he was a young boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his daddy got burned up real good. Burned up like a crocodile on a stick. Hi-ya! Also, uh, Will Patton, I just know, is the coach from... Remember the Titans. I mean, I know he's in other things, but that's just all I think of him as. Yeah. He he keeps his lips uh, real pursed together, and he talks like this. Uh, looks very intently into people's eyes, and uh, has a little bit of a foghorn leghorn accent sometimes. Uh, but... <laughs> Only sometimes. Only sometimes. He's, though, married into uh, this family. The one providing all the income is his wife, Maria, uh, played by Oscar nominee Virginia Madsen from Sideways. Uh, She is his distraught wife. Uh, She is also a mother who is haunted by the death of her daughter uh, 14 years ago. 
Abby was actually the cause of, well, sideways cause of death of her daughter. So there's that sort of budding anger and frustration between Abby Arcane and the Sunderlands. There's a complicated emotional situation going on between the Sunderlands and Abby because Abby's parents died when she was very young, although I don't actually think we ever found out how. Um, That's what season two is for. Oh. 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 Well, anyway, Abby ends up being taken in by the Sunderlands and becomes sort of sisters and best friends with their daughter, You're like a daughter to me, is a phrase that is said a lot with a similar accent. The death of my daughter. I didn't know it would lead to me losing both my daughters. So many daughters, so little time. They blamed her for it, and then they didn't bother speaking to her. And now she's a big-time doctor um, that's come (laughs) back to the town but doesn't like to be back in the town. Ian, who's policing this town? Well, we've got a love interest of Abby's who his name is Matt Cable and he's Great a name cop, again. Great and name. he's in love with Abby and those are his two distinguishing qualities. <laughs> he also gets injured a lot. He also drinks um and only okay. when he's upset. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a sad drinker. He he gets real sad and he drinks a couple bottles of whiskey. And he's a baby, I guess. He's a real baby. Well, he is the baby of the sheriff of the town, uh, Lucilia, which is another great name to be said with uh, a southern accent. Lucilia, uh, often referred to as Lucy. Uh, She is the sheriff, uh, Matt's mom. Uh, She is also has been having an affair with Avery Sunderland and is so very corrupt. She is uh, constantly abusing her power, whether it's taking bribes, whether it's just shooting people. There's a lot of that, too. People hey, just kind of shoot people willy-nilly. trying to save her son when she shoots him, and she's all high and mighty and righteous, even though about, like, when it comes to Avery's corruption, but she is as corrupt as they come. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she's a, a, a touch hypocritical. Just a touch. Just a touch. But let's get to uh, the reason that we're all here, the, the, big, the big bad monster, the blue devil. <laughs> okay, you got me with that misdirection. <laughs> uh, the blue devil is a cursed actor who's trapped in the small town after accidentally taking a deal with a devil-ish spirit guy. Kind of looks like a guy. young Orson Welles but also has the sort of uh, manipulation of a young Orson Welles, too. So I guess he's just young Orson Welles. There's this loose term thrown around a lot about the darkness in the swamp, and my guess is he's the physical manifestation of it. Sure. But they never say that. And actually, now that I think about it, he also made the Blue Devil... Because he needed to save Abby from something before he could leave the town. So I guess he's a good guy. Yeah, Yeah. it's a very, the contract on the uh, deal that he has signed to become the Blue Devil is a a murky one at best, at least to the the viewers. But he's played by Ian Ziering. Now, Ian, we'll get to more burning questions later, but I've got one quick question for you. 
do you claim Ian Ziering as an Ian? No. Good. Any is it I A I N? No, I think it's just I A N. Spelled like you. Or it might Ew. be I A I N. I don't know. Anytime I meet another Ian, I go, "You're not one of those I A I Ns, are you?" And they're like, "No, absolutely <laughs> not." Um, I just know you've I, got your your league of Ians that you have tapped into throughout your life. Uh, yeah, there was a time on Facebook in high school when one Ian Hamilton Facebook friended like 80 other Ian Hamiltons. And so then we all became Facebook friends. Yeah, we get it. You're basic and it's a beautiful thing. But we should talk about the real star of the show, uh, the swamp thing. Ian, you want to get into the swamp thing? Now, scientifically, John, the swamp thing is simple plant-based life form. You see, the cell walls are that of an animal, and yet the regenerative powers are that of a plant, therefore making swamp thing both plant and animal, and yet neither. Mm. What does it and- mean to be a plant? What does it mean to be a human? These are the big philosophical questions that the R-rated DC comic adaptation of Swamp Thing hopes to answer. Exactly. Now, this swampy, plantish, animalian-type creature has somehow latched onto the consciousness of the dead Alec Holland and has his memories but isn't him yeah he is there's this idea that oh the swamp thing is alec transformed but we find out later in the series no the swamp essentially sucked up the consciousness of alec and then spit out this gigantic hulking like seven foot 400 pound sort of truck of a green thing to communicate with the plants and kill a bunch of people Swamp Thing is somewhere between Frankenstein, the Hulk, and Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, way to triangulate it. Um, yeah, like the Hulk, the way that people are trying to capture him and like uh, study him, that's very Hulkish. But his reclusiveness in nature, that's like Frankenstein. But his relationship with Abby, very Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. Just like it's time for us to take a quick commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Okay, John, so we can't talk about the show without talking about the way it starts out, which is with an epidemic. Um, Abby was studying an epidemic in the Congo, but then it just so happens that this green non-fungal disease is taking over the small town that she grew up in and hasn't been back to in 14 years. It's as if uh, there was an accelerant 
put onto this uh, swampy disease. But yeah, the epidemic itself, it's like basically if you had vines growing inside of your body and then sometimes they get all, all wackadoo and they blow you up from the inside. Well, at first, people just sort of start to phlegm up some leaves. <laughs> it's a deep cough that uh, ends in some ends in some vegetation. Yeah, exactly. Like at first, the doctors are like, "Hey, who brought this leaf in here?" And they're like, "No, that leaf wasn't in here." Dun dun dun. And uh, the epidemic starts out, they realize it might be more than an epidemic in the first episode because there's also these roots in the swamp. (laughs) And these roots grow at a very rapid pace, perhaps due to some sort of accelerant. (laughs) And (laughs) the roots are very strong. And the very first scene, actually, uh, did you realize that one of the first people to die is the kid from Brockmire? No. Oh, oh, I did. I didn't. I don't recognize him from that. I recognize him as Earl from Me, Earl and the Dying Girl. Oh, my God. RJ Seiler, I think is his name. That yeah, but he's movie in one scene. made me weep in the theater. Mm-hmm. Great uncontrollably. movie. He gives a great performance in it, and he has maybe two lines in the show. Right. I thought he was going to be a main character. I did too. I was like, but, hey, somebody I recognize, and then no, immediately he's, dies. Um, he's dropping some sort of accelerant into the swamp <laughs> under the guise of night. And then his fellow accelerant dropper goes into the water and is being attacked. Is it a crocodile? No. Is it an alligator? No. In fact, I don't know which one resides in Louisiana, crocodiles or alligators. I can't remember, but I did see an exhibit at the Natural History Museum in New York once, and I've forgotten all the knowledge that I retained from that. Yeah. That I did if, not retain. If we have any listeners from Louisiana, A, please answer the question, is it alligators or crocodiles? B, answer the question, who dat? Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but so these roots uh, gruesomely kill these three guys. In fact, it they grow up through the boat, through the guy's body, and basically spear him in his torso and then continue to grow. If you can think in your head, listener, of a way for a branch or a vine to impale a human being, it has probably been done in Swamp Thing. Uh, I think it, think about maybe your favorite Ian, but mine personally was when the, uh, vine went through the guy's jaw and then ripped out his jaw. So he was like, like, Oh, you mean ripped off Gary Busey's brother's jaw? No. Yeah. Really? It's the other Busey. Wow. Wow. Makes it even better. All the better. Exactly. Uh, dude, and what's so gruesome, too, is the what sort of bridges the epidemic to realizing there's something more going on is they, okay, so the epidemic starts out with this little girl. Then they go to her house to find her father, who is in the bathroom covered in vines with giant vines coming out of his mouth, and he's completely enveloped in it. 
the practical effects in this show really reminded me of John Carpenter's The Thing. Like, especially with some of the way that this, like, plant life evolved and, like, burst out of people. It was, it was, there was a lot of really impressive stuff, especially in the first couple episodes. Yeah, actually, speaking of The Thing, the way that the plant grows out of this guy's body later and just starts ripping his skin apart and is like mangled faces dangling from different parts of the vines. Mm-hmm. It was very thingish. Mm-hmm. It shows what like good practical effects can do. Yeah, and, it was uh, a good mixture of practical and CGI. Like they blended it really well. Absolutely. A lot better than Paper Girls ever did. <laughs> they had a little bit more money. They had that sweet, sweet DC money. That's right. Um, There was another gruesome kill where a guy got like a giant fish hook through the mouth. Oh, it was a spear. It was like a, like a a fishing spear that, uh, and he was a cop too. And then all of a sudden he just, one of the people he's talking to just wham, bam, spear you, ma'am, right in the face. Oh my God. And then the guy that killed him. Uh, he's running after the little girl and this is how we meet Swamp Thing and find out he's actually a nice guy mm-hmm. and a, a friend, nice guy not who, a monster. A nice guy who immediately then takes that guy, grabs all of his limbs uh, using his uh, tree and vine controlling abilities and rips him apart in about eight different ways. Yeah, it's like he's got a hold of him from eight different angles and pulls his body apart all at once from all those different angles, uh, dismembering and exploding him at the same time. A stretch Armstrong that uh, really just <laughs> never worked. Like, it didn't uh, stretch. It did stretch. No, it just kind of stopped once the tendons did. Oh, my God. That's oh, um, gnarly. So that's Swamp Thing killing people, but there's also a sort of haunting, hallucinating thing going on in the swamp the the darkness i think is what we can end up attributing it to yeah it's this sort of undercurrent of the swamp they talk about this fight between the light and the dark and the dark sort of brings out the worst in people sometimes for example the dark comes from the swamp through like scratching people and it causes them to see these horrible memories from their past other times uh for example the darkness sort of possesses uh this little girl that we've mentioned a couple times in the form of the consciousness of virginia madsen's dead daughter like that's another way the darkness is used um so a lot of a lot of upsetting the balance of uh light and dark within the swamp yeah. Oh my gosh. Speaking of gruesome kills and hallucinations and hauntings, oh, that the guy. Oh god. A cursed corpse <laughs> falls out of a tree and its teeth land directly on this young man who's like hunting in the swamp. Right. And then was it like the corpse was kind of alive for a minute but then it was just a corpse? Yeah. Because I couldn't tell him, like, is it biting him or did it just fall at the perfect angle for its teeth to embed itself in his arms? Either way, this uh, this guy done got bit. 
Yeah, and then he's hallucinating that there is a snake on his arm, and he goes to work at a restaurant, hallucinates there's a snake, and stabs his arm repeatedly with a cooking knife uh, in front of his coworkers. And as they try to subdue him, and the knife isn't working to kill the snake, he sticks his hand inside the garbage disposal. Yeah, this is a... And if we haven't made it very clear, this is a very R-rated show. Like, yikes. They show everything. Yeah, including his like, hand looked like uh, the way that John Krasinski was bananaed apart in the Doctor Strange, <laughs> last Doctor Strange movie. Just, just Peel City population, this guy. Yeah. So, okay. We've covered... The hauntings and the darkness, John. But I think it's time we get to the main event, the accelerant. Yeah, Ian, don't uh do we have a clip that kind of shows uh Dr. Woodrue and uh Avery explaining the accelerant or like talking about it in some way? Yeah, for the first time ever on this show, we got the rights to use a clip from DC, and uh this is Avery Sunderland and Dr. Woodrow discussing the accelerant and what they want out of life using the accelerant and their hopes and dreams and also their anxieties. Well, uh, let's just play the clip and uh, yeah. Well, I say, I say, Dr. Woodrow, your accelerant is out of control. My accelerant is working remarkably faster than we could have anticipated or hoped for. Your accelerant's supposed to make things grow faster. More trees to drain the water. More land to develop. More plants to develop with drugs and cosmetics. Things to monetize. Why would you worry about something as simple as money? There are plenty of billionaires out there. But with the scientific breakthroughs from my research, you could be a household name. I hadn't thought of it like that. I'll go get countless henchmen killed in exceptionally brutal ways in order to capture this swamp thing uh, for you. By the way, do you want to try any of my toidal soup? No, thanks. I've already cooked up Swamp Thing's heart with onions and need to force-feed it to my sick wife with locked-in syndrome. And that was the clip? Yeah, a beautiful scene between Foghorn Leghorn and Richard Nixon. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I guess part of the gruesome kills thing, we did also talk about how when Dr. Woodrow does capture Swamp Thing, he literally just, like, puts him on a slab and cuts open this like leafy mass that also shows a heart and lungs and like the swamp thing says it feels everything that's happening which you know yeah even though dr woodrow's find no nerve endings to speak of john no now the dissection scene is pretty crazy because he's cutting into his body like you would split open a corpse to I don't know. Give it a, what do you call it? Autopsy. Right. And 
he's going through all of his organs. And I actually, I thought this was a really interesting part of the show mm-hmm. in that he was like, wait a minute, you have a heart, you have lungs, you have liver, but none of it seems to function or really have any effect on how you live. And what Dr. Woodrow says, he goes, you're not a man who's a, trying to be a plant. You're a plant who's trying to be a man. Yes, and uh, Dr. Woodrow talks uh, almost entirely from his cheeks the entire show. Well, he has like some front-facing teeth like that. Too. Uh-huh. Only what was really obnoxious was Natalie was in the room. I was like, Natalie, Natalie, you gotta, you gotta just watch this scene and watch how he talks. <laughs> and for some reason, that scene he decided to be a little bit normal. I was so mad. Because uh, he is not normal. He is about as uh, disconcerting of a character as you're ever going to see. And he's especially not normal after he eats the heart of the Swamp Thing. And in the post credit scene, ends up being a Swamp Thing himself, which would have been a season two thing. But, you yeah, know. We don't often get uh, post credit scenes uh, for one and done shows, but DC, you tricky bastard. I think there's one more sort of thing we should talk about, too, which is... All the all the hot, steamy uh, drama that happens between uh, Virginia Madsen, uh, her husband, and the and the sheriff. Yeah, I mean, the whole time she knows that he's sleeping with the sheriff, and now she can finally do something because her and the sheriff, even though they hate each other, can secretly align to try to kill Avery. Her being Virginia Madsen, just to clarify. thank you. Yes. Yes. So the wife and the mistress team up to try to kill Avery. And uh, the sheriff brings Avery into the swamp with the other cop, her son, Matt, who, surprise, is Avery's son. Dun, dun, dun. Even though, let's face it, he doesn't look like either of them <laughs> at all. <laughs> not even, Not even a touch. Not even a touch. I'm pretty sure he's a different race than both of them. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it was a stretch. Yes. Just a just a touch. Yeah, and then Maria takes advantage of this situation to try to get all of Avery's companies under her name. But then with a twist, Avery doesn't die. Swamp Thing saves his life, even though he's clearly going to double-cross Swamp Thing later. And then he puts Maria into an insane asylum and ends up killing the sheriff by stabbing her through the back of a chair, through her stomach, through her body. And then, while she's still alive, putting her in the trunk and then sending the the cop car that she's in the trunk of into the swamp. Uh, it seems a little bit of overkill. And while she's in the trunk, she's screaming for help. Yeah. And just as a final nail in the trunk, he also locks the car door as it's going down. I am so glad you brought that up because he watches the car go into the swamp, listening to her screaming, and then he just clicks that lock button one more time. Beep, beep. (laughs) That was so crazy. Why did he do that? Um, Avery's a wild, wild man. Did you also get the sense that she herself would turn into a swamp thing if there was a season two. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Anytime yeah. we need to see characters like final heartbeats or else they aren't, uh, they're not dead. They're not dead in the show. I thought a pretty cool bit of directing slash cinematography was that as the car was sinking into the swamp, the brake lights of the car looked a lot like the red eyes of the swamp thing. Mm. And it sort of echoed in the title sequence. There's like bright red swamp thing eyes overlooking everything. And, you know, they were making that parallel. And I thought that was kind of cool. It it was campy, but it told you exactly what you needed to know. Well, I think that uh, is something, an element that could potentially be awarded in our Dunzos, which we'll get to right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to all of our shows. It could be the best. It could be the worst. It could be the weirdest. It could be the swampiest. Whatever it may be, we have decided to give elements of this show their just desserts. Each of us have two Dunzo Awards to give out. Ian, what is your first Dunzo Award? My first Dunzo Award is the Resident Evil Award. (laughs) Callbacks. Yeah, exactly. See our Resident Evil episode, which goes to Averly Sunderland, who says, we're not postponing anything. As far as my investors are concerned, we have found the Holy Grail, and I expect your reports to reflect that. So once again, evil life-saving pharmaceuticals get in, and profits get in the way of safety. Yes. Uh, Ian, you're Impression was spot on. You just needed to say consoined. Consoined? Yeah. Toidal yeah. soup. Toidal soup consoined. I got a hankering for toidal soup. Yeah. I will say, too, that despite the um, the accents that we're doing here, like Avery is like the only one that like goes hard on the accent consistently. Yes. Well, I don't even know if I'd say consistently. Because... <laughs> because Sometimes he says words Most. like toidal, and sometimes I feel like there are other scenes where if he wasn't cutting a turtle open and ripping out its guts in front of us, he would just say turtle. You yeah. Know? Yeah. He. I will say, I guess, not most consistently, but most frequently, because I'm thinking about the sheriff and her accent. Oof. Yeah, I almost gave out a Dunzo Award for like the Goes Hard Award, which would have gone <laughs> to the uh, the accent of Avery and the voice of Dr. Woodrow, but I think we've covered that yeah, plenty. For sure. So the pharmaceutical aspect of it, yeah, it's always to use this swamp. How would you describe it? Would you describe it as a swamp thing? Um, it's sort of like a swampish thingy, mabob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of those kind of things. Or you know, there's like this accelerant, and there's this this darkness, this rot that just prevails. You know, mm-hmm. over yeah. well, there's there's also there's a fight between uh, light and dark. You see, yes, there is, and I'm not going to a- get any more specific than that because <laughs> the show doesn't want to. There is this big 
push for Avery. Avery just always seems to be just like digging himself into this like moral ethical hole, uh, this K-hole, if you will, of just nonsense in which he keeps having to kill people to cover up the kills that he had just killed in order to ultimately create this ultimate product that he's been researching for years to get out of the swamp and uh, make his uh, millions and uh, exude his power outside of Marais. Okay, here's what's crazy, and I didn't think about it till this moment. So Avery and all this corruption and all this killing, the very first thing that it comes out of is he's paying people to illegally dump the accelerant in the swamp. Yes. And then these people die. Mm-hmm. So then he ends up killing various people, and including Alec Holland, in order to cover all of this stuff up. But let's be clear. Since, let's be clear. Alec doesn't just get killed. He gets shot with a shotgun and a dynamite crossbow. Right. And, well, the the arrow was dynamite. The crossbow was just a normal crossbow. True. Uh, so, but he already has the sheriff in his pocket and in his bed, and he doesn't seem to have a problem really controlling some CDC people and some uh, big time pharmaceutical secret society people. I think they call it the Covenant, and I'm sure we would have gotten more into that in season two. Um, yeah. So he seems to have no problem controlling them. Why didn't he just pay everybody and all these legal people off to begin with, he wouldn't have had to kill anyone. Mm-hmm. He could have. He could have. Uh, but Avery uh, Avery is somehow like the most dangerous and manipulative human being in the world, but he's also like the least trustworthy villain that you've ever seen. By like, the end of it, he has very few friends. Holy heck, though. Like you watch this guy and he's like, believe me, I swear. And you're like, I, who, who in their right mind? Who in their sweet right mind would ever hand this guy any keys to anything? He's a bit of a sweet talker, and he can really, you know, speak in front of a crowd diplomatically. And uh, I actually thought there was a good line from Abby who told him that he can always make a no sound like he's doing someone a favor. Yeah, that was a good line, and it did uh, perfectly sum up his character. John, what's your first Dunzo? My first Dunzo award goes to the least necessary exposition giver. And I'm going to give that one to, I believe her character's name is Madame Xanadu, or at least wow. that's how she's credited. I was waiting for her to come up. Yeah, she needs to. Uh, so Madame Xanadu is a blind fortune teller that lives in the town of Marais. She does people's tarot card readings. She also has a connection essentially to like the light and the dark. She helps uh, Virginia Madsen talk to her daughter. She's also the one that has explained all of Ian Ziering's weird blue devil sort of connections to it. And all the time that she showed up, I just kept thinking, yes, she is here to sort of explain the mystical side of the swamp and to show how it connects to the other B characters and everything like that. But also I was just like, why do we even need these extra stories? Like we got swamp thing, man. 
we got Big Hulk and Swamp Thing, and there are entire episodes where all he does is cry. Like, we we want Swamp Thing. Bring us Swamp Thing, Madame Xanadu. The uh, blue devil of it all we should really discuss <laughs> for a minute. Because for the first seven episodes, we just know there's this actor that owns a video store. He was in a big movie once, but now he just runs the store. He was a stunt double that was cast on the movie, we find out, that then got bumped up to being the lead of this movie, this Blue Devil movie. And that was the sort of deal he did with the devil. And he keeps being told, yeah, like he had said, by by Xanadu, by uh, creepy Orson Welles, that he is tied to this town in order to fulfill a purpose. And anytime he tries to leave the town... Like he literally like puts his hand across the county lines and his hand lights on like a blue fire. And we find out that this one purpose that he has is to turn into the blue devil once, which is basically this big fiery blue creature to save Abby and her friend who I can't remember her name for the life of me. And Mia, maybe sure for the sake of convenience, her name's Mia now. And they are trapped in this, like, electric room being surrounded by, like, Avery or the CDC's mercenaries. Who knows who hired these mercenaries? But the Blue Devil just, like, comes in and lights a bunch of them on fire. Ian Ziering's then, like, naked and he runs away. And then he's finally able to leave the town. That is his one purpose that he has. All these years he's been trapped in the town because of this curse. And he didn't even, I don't even think he really knew he was the Blue Devil until then. Even though, like, we all knew he was the Blue Devil for many episodes leading up to it. Um, Dude, and going back to that scene, so he sees, I I called him the the Orson Welles guy in that scene is the ghost of Swamp Thing yet to come. (laughs) Because he shows him a future where Mia and Abby just get mowed down for pretty much no reason by these henchmen. And then when we get to the actual scene and you're like, oh my gosh, this is where they're supposed to get mowed down. And the blue demon comes and burns them all alive instead. The henchmen, dude, they're all getting burned alive. They're shooting this blue demon that they can't find. They don't know what's going on. Finally, one of the henchmen opens the door where they're hiding, Abby and Mia, and is like, oh my God, there's this blue demon over there. And then still raises his gun at them to try to kill them. It's Mm -hmm. like, dude, just get out of there. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How much are they getting paid? There is no amount. There is no amount when you've got a fluorescent blue flame that is literally torching your friends, presumably. I'm sure they have some relationship alive. It's, oh, it's astounding. Ian, what is your second Dunzo Award? My second Dunzo Award is the Diminishing Returns Award, (laughs) which goes to Swamp Thing and his costume. Um, (laughs) It was cool. And I'll even say later on, they kind of morph him a little bit to look like more jacked and and stuff. And it, it looks better in like the last episode. But from the second episode on... It went from being cool to being lame. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, 
and tiring, right? Dude, the initial sort of reveal of Swamp Thing, I guess it happens at the end of the first episode and a little bit at the beginning, but there's a scene, I think it's at the beginning of the second episode, where Swamp Thing's like figuring out who he is. And he literally like takes his hand, puts it on his head, rips a part of his head off because he is plant and holds it in his hand. And then like his head grows back. Such a cool scene, such a like visually compelling, like cool mix of practical and CGI sort of stuff. You, you really get the sense that he is taking chunks of himself out by the end of it. It just feels like a guy who's wearing like a green mask that has like kind of like droopy the dog jowls on the side of it. And he's got like a little goatee thing, uh, <laughs> like a little chin beard. And actually the performance of Swamp Thing <laughs> reminded me of, and I love this character I'm about to say, but in a, I mean, in a bad way, it reminded me of Kelsey Grammer as Beast in the X-Men movies. Hmm. Mm. But Kelsey Grammer does look a little bit better sometimes than Swamp Thing. And sometimes he doesn't. The Swamp Thing costume, though, yeah. The, I Now that I said Droopy the dog, like, I can't, I can't stop thinking about him talking like this. Oh, no, I'm oh. Swamp Thing. <laughs> but instead he talks like this. The entire time. Did you think it was weird that they had a different actor play Swamp Thing than play Alec? I did initially, and then I was like, no, this this needed to happen. Like, it did. Because the guy, the Alec guy is a, is a bit of a weenie. Supposedly. Yeah, he's like a, he's a city guy with designer sandals. Yeah, he's got... Uh, biologist by way of Abercrombie sort of vibes. And <laughs> then you need like this big intimidating figure to be Swamp Thing. And yeah, but why not just cast someone as Alec that could play Swamp Thing? I mean, it just, it didn't quite connect to me. The fact that the two people were the same person. Mm-hmm. It, well, but that's, that might be part of the lead. You know, you're not, they're they're too different, and so when you get it revealed that they are not the same person, oh, you dun, mean dun, when dun, he dun. carries out his own corpse from the swamp, which was a compelling image that they ruined in like one of the posters of the show that I saw. Yeah, because when I saw him bringing out his corpse, I was like, oh, that's the poster. Yeah, so cool. They saved that for like episode eight or nine. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, my second Dunzo is the 500 Miles Award, named, of course, after the catchy song, which I'm also going to give to Avery Sunderland, who, okay, this show has a real hard-on for letting people live way longer than they have any right to. And I don't think there's any greater example of this than when Avery is knocked unconscious, tied in the boat from the sheriff and the sheriff's son, and Avery somehow gets a knife, stabs Matt, and then they shoot, right? They both shoot Avery. And even if they don't, like, they, she basically takes a shotgun and starts, like, opening fire in the swamp that he has dove into. 
And uh, yeah. How he doesn't either get hit or die immediately is way beyond me. And I get that Swamp Thing heals him eventually, but he's in a nasty ass swamp for an extended period of time. And he oh, somehow the, like the list hung- of infections people should have gotten that weren't epidemic worthy is off the charts. Absolutely. And he just like full on 127 hours is himself like dragging his butt through the swamp before Swamp Thing does sort of heal him with his with his viney magic. And another thing, where are the mosquitoes in this swamp? (laughs) That is another thing. That is another very important thing. But Abby also should have died a couple times. Um, The Mia's dad who owns the barbecue joint as well, like he is hallucinating and like it's just shooting random things in his bar. He probably should have died a couple times. There were a lot of just very near-death experiences, and then also just some very sudden death experiences. Like, I think my favorite short-lived character was the guy who, um, he was hunting like boars or something in the swamp, and he goes over to explore a boar. And the boar is being like kind of torn apart by all these bugs in order. And then he meets this reanimated corpse who is being basically like held up by bugs. Uh, a la that one thing in Rick and Morty where the cats are the controlling cats. the dead lady. I think this is two episodes in a row we brought that up. We might have talked about that on Mr. Bunker. Uh, no, 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 no. We talked oh, about, we that talk about Resident, Resident Evil, Evil with the cat lady, but I was, um, actually that made me think of Green Mile when he sucks the evil out of Tom Hanks and puts it into the other guy with all the bugs coming in and out of his mouth. I've never seen Green Mile, but. Whoa, dude. Dude, I know. that's a classic. I've I never seen I Shawshank to. though, so we're even. There we go. We've canceled each other out in terms of our terrible taste. And the. What was the purpose of that scene again? No idea. No idea. It was just a guy that got a bunch of bugs uh, shotgunned into his mouth. I guess it's just the literal manifestation of the darkness, a.k.a. the rot. Uh, That the swamp, you know, the swamp gives and the swamp takes, John. Yeah, and it it maims as well, uh, constantly, and somehow doesn't kill multiple people frequently. It sounds like you got a burning question for me, John. It sounds like you were teeing yourself up. I do have one burning question specifically about the swamp. Ian, how come almost nobody could go in the swamp during the day? That's hot. Wow, that is a great question. It was always nighttime. I I mean, the whole show was almost always nighttime. Literally two scenes. There's one in the finale where the mercenaries like are hunting down the swamp thing and they don't even get to it until it's nighttime and rainy. And then there's a Bugsy Malone who gets uh, filled up with a bunch of cockroaches that I was just talking about. Oh, but there was also when the corpse fell on the kid. That was, but those were all other people, right? No, I thought the corpse thing was during nighttime too. No, that was during the day because they were, like, uh, logging, I think. Oh, uh, okay. They were doing some form of cutting down trees. 
But those were always other people. It wasn't the main characters. Mm-hmm. Dude, and on top of that, nobody had a problem wading in the swamp water either. Nope. Outside of the very first scene, there was no word of crocodile this or alligator that. Yeah, there is a real loss of a sense of place within the swamp. Snakes. Nobody's worried about snakes except for the one guy who was hallucinating. (laughs) I mean, it's Louisiana. We don't know how afraid they are of snakes or not. There is this one like cabin, though, that's sort of a research outpost for Abby and Alec. Outside of that, though, I had no idea where like anything was in the swamp, which might have been purposeful. But like there was really no sense of like, oh, we got to meet in the clearing. Okay. Which clearing? Where is this? How does anyone find anything in the swamp, especially when it's perpetually 11 o'clock? It's just in the swamp, you know? The (laughs) swamp has a gravity to it, John, and they can all feel the gravity of the swamp because they talk about it multiple times. (laughs) And uh, so there must be some sort of center to this gravity, and that's where they all meet up. Mm -hmm. At the the center. At At the center. Yeah. Which leads me to my burning question, John. Actually, it doesn't, but I have a burning question. (laughs) Is the Swamp Thing the bad guy and Avery and Dr. Woodrow the good guys? Ultimately in the big picture? (laughs) That's hot. Because they are trying to create incredible medicine that could save millions, possibly billions of people, might even cure aging. And Swamp Thing, even though his spirit was a biologist, doesn't care at all. He just cares about the trees whispering to each other now. What kind of eugenics-y, master-racy nonsense <laughs> are you trying to put hey, into... Whoa, 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 whoa. I feel like this is one of our early episodes where you're trying to call me Woody Allen again. (laughs) It's, it's very sort of like, yeah, they're just doing it all for the greater good. No dude, they're doing it for power. That's what they're, well, I guess, uh, Woodrue is doing it for his, uh, his, uh, wife who is, uh, losing her memory at a very rapid clip. And as they say multiple times at the finale, like, Oh, he just lost his way. He's gone. He's gone mad. And he has for sure. Avery though is always just saving his own skin and he does the he has this big humanitarian sort of ploy uh to sort of mask this overall egotistical self-centering narcissistic really um worldview. And Swamp Thing Swamp Thing's just like, leave me in the swamp, especially when he finds out that he can't become Alec again. He's just like, I'm just going to be here. If you come for me, boy, you're going to get some splinters. I'm going to send my trees after you. You're going to get a nuisance in your fingy. And he's just trying his best to keep the the swamp alive. He understands that there is a balance and he's always trying to fight uh, the, the dark side of the spirit. Of the, the rot, swamp. the darkness, the, the accelerant. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. So, so no, <laughs> no. 
Woodrow is the bad guy. Regardless of intent, it would save millions of people just to torture a little bit of a swamp thing. That's all. And he okay. survives. He survives being cut apart and his organs taken out. He does survive, but he's also a little so selfish, quick. if you ask he's me. He's so God. He is so quick to cut open the swamp thing and like untestedly like try it on himself that he eventually turns himself into a swap thing. And he was like trying to, okay, we haven't talked about this. The last episode, Woodrow has his wife tied to a chair and tries to force feed her this like gumbo of like he fried swamp, swamp thing. heart with onions. <laughs> for the flavor, for the flavor. I mean, I love that he actually, like, it looked like a little meal. Like, he chopped some stuff up. He put it in a pan with a little bit of olive oil, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, some Italian seasoning. it up seasoning. with some seasoning. Uh, but I just think, but also, like, okay, not to labor on this point too much, but Swamp Thing, regardless of whether Avery is a bad guy or not, Swamp Thing, I was very surprised to learn is supposed to be a good guy at first. Because I thought it'd be Creature from the Black Lagoon. I thought it'd be the thing. Uh, But it wasn't. It was like, oh, wait, we're supposed to like this monster that even though everyone's attacking him, he does kill everyone in brutal, brutal ways uh, and doesn't seem to have any remorse for that, despite the fact that he could just regenerate. And if he wanted to, if he wanted to, he could save millions of people john from disease he could just ask abby to take him to a lab and do it herself but he doesn't he stays in the swamp and he's selfish i think that's what the second season probably would have been is abby testing on him in order to because i'm sure she sees uh, some of the benefits of that but like most of the drive of the first season is how do I get back to being Alec? Like, how do I cure this? And I'm sure that the story would have evolved into how do I harness this in order right. for I some mean, good. The last episode, Swamp Thing and the spirit of Alec that lives within him, I suppose, were having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And they're like, look, we spent this whole time trying to become Alec again, but now we know Alec's dead. So who are you and what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Um, well, I think we should take a quick commercial break and then talk about why this show got canceled. And now a word from our sponsors. Swamp Thing premiered on the short-lived DC Universe, right? There are a couple shows that went on to live on HBO Max, Doom Patrol, Harley Quinn, a couple other things. Titans is another one, I think. Exactly. Um, Although that may have been unceremoniously canceled after like seven seasons without an ending. Something like that. I don't don't know. Maybe it's not Titans. Maybe it's not. It's not not Titans because it's season four is premiering like soon. Right. So there's this weird thing where there's like DC... HBO and CW are all meshing together, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So when they talk about why the show is canceled, 
a lot of outlets talk about how there were creative differences. Um, it was an expensive show to make, but during its run, they cut it down from 13 episodes to 10 episodes, the order. And all that kind of came out of that was creative differences is what we were told. Actually, the actor Derek Mears, I guess is how, I don't know how you say his last name, um, who plays Swamp Thing, he said that they were literally reading the script for episode 11 when they found out that it was only going to be a 10-episode season, and they had to scramble after having shot some stuff to close up the season in that last episode. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, presumably, and this is me speculating, they might have shot up to episode 9 until they had to realize they had to wrap everything up. Mm. Yeah, the- I mean, I think that the last like three episodes are pretty contained and rushed a little bit. Yeah, I could see eight that. is when eight is when we get the Blue Devil finally, I think, and we get um It's the, the dissection, dissection yeah. is episode eight, I believe. Or nine. I can't remember. Um, yeah, and he said that up until they were floored when it was canceled, when it was cut back, because he said up until that point, they were just told, wow, this is great. We've got a definite hit on our hands. Um, and actually, the tomato meter on it is still 92% uh, critics, 73% audience. Um, and you can tell, actually, some of them even watched the entire season. So this yeah. isn't like uh, like our Queens episode where... It had high ratings, but you could tell everyone just watched the pilot. Yeah. And so some of the creative differences on the show were very much, should we make this an R-rated horror, body horror, you know, John Carpenter style thing? Or should this be more of a procedural week to week show where there's little contained adventures every week? And that's the sort of Smallville-iness of it that I noticed as I was watching it, like we get an episode about the darkness that's being spread through scratches and is hallucinating people. We also get uh, the bug guy episode in episode two. That reminded me a lot of the early days of Smallville where it was called kind of like a, what they call like a freak of the week sort of mentality. There were people in Smallville that were being affected by kryptonite in weird ways, which was giving them powers and Superman would need to fight them off close the loop, let's get on to the next supervillain, the next episode. So I definitely saw a similar sort of push and pull within these 10 episodes going back and forth between that. Exactly. I mean, so they were fighting between what had worked before with their CW model and what these, you know, creators, artists, fans of horror and fans of like monster movies, you know, really wanted to make it. So there was that battle. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Now, all the reporting on this show is like, oh, creative differences, unceremoniously canceled. You would think that we're here to talk about the short-lived DC universe, but we're not. Hmm. What happened was, and I have to credit uh, this writer, John Golson, for sharing his sources and actually doing more research than I think real-life journalists and reporters were doing at the time Mm. because he got a lot of information from the Wilmington Star, Mm. which is Wilmington, North Carolina, and its areas 
local paper. Basically, in the fiscal year of 2019 to 2020, North Carolina, due to a clerical error, thought that they had $67 million sitting in their funding that they could give out to different movies and TV shows that wanted to film in North Carolina. Hmm. But it turned out that there was already like $32 million of that was already claimed by existing projects. So the politicians of North Carolina promised all of these grants that they ended up not being able to cash. Oh, Warner Brothers, for the Swamp Thing, they had an $80 million budget, and they thought they were going to get something like $30, $32 million. Wow. And they ended up only getting $14 million huh. because of this clerical error. Oh, my gosh. Which explains why they had to cut it from 13 episodes to 10 episodes really quickly. And they realized that going forward, they were not going to have what they thought they were going to have in the first place. Yeah. So, of course, they cut it. Wow. That's wild. They had these big budget dreams, and all of a sudden, they only had a medium budget. Man, that just seems to be the luck of the DC Extended Universe. Like, man, they had these huge ambitious plans to do Justice League and tie everything together into these beautiful packages that were going to stretch across franchises and everything like Marvel did. And for whatever reason, whether the final product just wasn't good like Justice League was, or whether it's somebody forgetting about $32 million, DC original content just seems to be cursed in some way. Or one of their actors possibly going to jail for 26 years. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Cursed. It's a it's a cursed show. Yeah. So then uh, DC Universe was kind of scrapped when Warner Media realized they were they should just fold everything into HBO Max. Um, a lot of their properties went on to HBO Max. And there's actually 140 plus DC properties that stream on it. Yeah. And one of the interesting things I think about the fate of DC Universe is that it still exists as DC Universe Infinite, but it's just a digital comic series. Exactly. It's just for comic books. Yeah. Just found that really interesting. Yeah. Totally radical turn of events. I mean. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, one of the interesting things, too, it seemed like didn't uh, the CW air Swamp Thing in like 2020? Yeah, they bought the rights to air it but mm-hmm. i don't know how because it's so violent i exactly i have no idea what that version looks like it is there's so much swearing and the violence in it is horrendous um you see yeah. somebody's butt Ooh, ian's earrings not ian well john the dc universe was canceled and swamp thing was canceled but the real verdict comes from us that's we're the only ones whose opinions matter we're the only ones that are watching it now. Exactly. <laughs> and I have a question for you, John. Actually, we might be the only people that can find it to even watch. <laughs> I don't know if it's available anywhere. Uh, commercially. Not easily. John, would you renew? I would not renew Swamp Thing. And... 
it kind of hurts a little bit because there are things that I think the show did really well. One of the things I think it did really well was the horror side. Like, there was some genuinely scary moments in it. Like, moments where I, like, jumped back in my seat and was excited and compelled. Or, like, even in the pilot, there's, like, six times that make you go, wow, wow, Mm -hmm. with what they're doing either with the CGI or with the gore or with the practical effects or some big story thing that makes you go, oh, my God. Yeah, the pilot, there's this one scene where, like, the swamp, uh, there's a swamp thing. Like, there's a a kind of swamp. swamp. Yeah. There's this, the swamp thing, not the man, the sort of disease, is kind of bursting out of this, uh, this guy's sort of body as Abby and Alec are examining it. And the vines are spreading across the this operating room. And it is like genuinely thrilling because there are so many great practical effects in and it. Then, and then it keeps going too. It's yeah. not just like one scary shot. It's like they keep cutting back to this guy's skin being deformed by it. And his like head being sort of elevated out of, off of his body by these vines. And then his daughter like runs in and sees this like mutated thing. It is like truly gnarly and wild and cool. And there were some really great moments like that throughout the show. So I th- when I think it focused on horror, it was it really soared. It was everything else that really bummed me out. And it was because I think the show went too hard, too quick on expanding the universe of this town. The reason that we barely have talked about the main character of this show is because Abby gets pushed to the back by everything else that is happening around her and around the swamp thing. That is a really good point. I didn't even think about that. She's the main character. We're seeing her deal with everything and everyone. And yet we didn't have anything to say about her. Exactly. Because she's just somebody that like things happen to her. She's like, I need answers. And she fixes things a lot, but she's not like the catalyst for anything. And I think it's because the show tried to do too much too quickly. Like, I thought about this. I clocked this. That scene where Avery gets, like, kidnapped and the sheriff almost kills him in the boat and he reveals that he's Matt's daughter or Matt's father and then he jumps off the boat and there's a shotgun and like a stabbing that's episode seven. And it's all this stuff. That's just like what would be like hail Mary's at the end of a season or something like that, that they are just throwing out willy nilly. I agree, dude, by episode five, I was thinking how much farther can they go? And it just kind of, made the pacing of the show like grind to a freaking halt because I was just like, well, if anything's possible, then why should I care about any of it? And I think that was a big sort of thing. It was hard to connect to because it got so out of control so quickly. And like I said, so you think it it was too exciting, (laughs) not too exciting, just too uh, chaotic. And I think that's a very key difference and chaotic again with stuff that didn't matter 
who cares about the Blue Devil? It was so dumb. We spent so much time on Ian freaking Zeering throughout this show. And to have it pay off in the way that it did, and for him to just, he just left. That was the end of his arc. Like, yeah, there was the satisfied, okay, he saves Abby and the woman who's probably named Mia. And then he just leaves town. Like, what was the point of all this? It was almost like they were they were trying to make him Jesse in Breaking Bad, but it wasn't <laughs> nearly as satisfying. Yeah, he it, didn't even say yeah, bitch, as he was driving away. <laughs> so too much, too fast, too hard. Um, but yet not the, enough. Yet not enough. And the because again, what what they went hard on, I didn't care about, and what they toned back was the stuff that I actually thought made the show compelling. Ian, what about you? Renew? I would not renew, even though there were times when I wanted to. I tried to justify it to myself. I was like, you know what? The dialogue is never worse than something you'd have on Law & Order, you know? (laughs) Like, it was like, hey, there's this person and there's this problem. And now we got to go meet this person to talk about the problem. Uh, You know what I mean? There's so much of that. Yeah. Like, that was it at its worst. And then it would be really campy, too. They had, like, mm -hmm. those two types of dialogue. Yeah. Like, anything with Dr. Woodrow, because he would just come in and... uh, it was so gross and disconcerting, but I was like, hey, at least he's trying something. Like, But it never added up to anything, really, that was interesting to me. No, I mean, right. It had a lot of cool stuff. Like, I thought even to the end, uh, a lot of the nonsensical killing and all the violence in it, uh, I liked um, I loved it. No, there was a moment like in the finale where they were clearly teeing up for a Swamp Thing has decided, you know what? F it. I'm going to kill all of these mercenaries. And you see the mercenaries coming in. They're like, I'm not sure about this. And I'm like, Swamp Thing's going to murder you. And then he does. And I was like, heck yeah. There were so many times in the show, too, with like personal revelations and stuff that I was, I was like, oh, my God, that's a thing. And then they would just. Like, it wasn't a big deal. It was like, usually there should be a revelation that leads to something, but it was like, and I'm sorry, I don't have a good example of this to tee up, but it was like the revelation itself was the climax of the story as opposed to what the revelation leads to. That's a great way of articulating that. Yeah. I completely agree. Right, and no... it's a feeling of incompleteness that I cannot mm. quite put into words. Because it's incomplete, <laughs> and the show didn't bother to like complete it for us. So therefore, it just we're just kind of left with these vagaries and this these missed connections and missed opportunities for something that could have been genuinely scary. Because you see the talent, you see the. Um, the skill, especially like on the horror side, and it just it and the production come design. I mean, great everything except for sometimes the Swamp Thing costume was awesome. Yeah, 
even the swamp itself, like, even though I didn't know where I was in the swamp ever, like, it still looked great. And sometimes it was a real swamp and sometimes it was in a warehouse somewhere, you know? Uh Oh, yeah. Uh, Or at least a real forest. Um, Yeah. So it it looked great. I mean, I could even buy into the campiness of it sometimes. I was like, if they just want to do horror and camp and they just want to lean in heavily, I think I would have preferred that to them trying to make me care. Yeah. Because that that they failed. The fact that the show was originally designed for 13 episodes, they settled on 10. It should have been like eight tops. Dude, I literally kept being surprised that I was like, how am I only on episode six? Like, yeah. so much happened in episode five. It, it often felt like a finale or a penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. But then they just kept like adding in this filler, this stuffing of... Stuff I just didn't care about. Kill people. Kill, kill, kill. Please, kill. Uh, did you get the feeling that they were trying to set up a blue demon spinoff or something? Who knows, man? Like, that blue demon stuff was one of the most fundamentally insane <laughs> subplots I have seen because of how little the show seemed to care about it, yet how much time they devoted to it. Probably. Probably, though. Blue Demon's just going to, like, dive into different DC properties and just, like, burn people alive. And then he's like, oh, finally I can leave this town. Yeah, he's just going town to town, being trapped until he brutally murders ten people to save one person. <laughs> And then they're like, Blue Demon, your next mission is in Pensacola, Florida. Go there and then don't leave there until an undetermined amount of time and an undetermined thing happens. Enjoy your DVD store. Have a good day. I am the swamp thing of swamp things yet to come. I think we're wrapping things up, though. Do you have any lingering thoughts? I just can't believe how critically acclaimed and somewhat beloved this show was by people. It was scary often. And that should have been enough. And they they blew it. They blew it. Wait, what was scary enough often? The show. The show. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you think everyone else just forgave all the filler? Yeah. That's probably fair. Mm-hmm. But not us. Nope. We are critical. Ian, where can people find us? Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at one and done TV. Email us with your thoughts, your feelings. Why are we wrong about Swamp Thing? Why do you love it? And what did we miss about it? Which is what made us not love it the way that you love it. Um, Send us some shows that we should watch. Yeah, just email us. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, and as always, buy yourself a Lodge Pan Scraper and Venmo me at Hamilton. How To With John Wilson is a show that did not originate on DC Universe, but is on HBO Max. Is Check it an HBO out. original, a Max original, or something else? We'll never know. I think all that information is lost to the swamp. Glug, 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 glug. The gravitation to the swamp is pulling us in. And I'm going to make myself some turtle soup. Hot bang! <laughs>
brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.